Good morning. Would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, which is the beginning of that. We're on the second of the Beatitudes this morning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So I want you to just bow and pray with me real quick before we start. Thank you, Father, for another opportunity to look at this most glorious sermon and message from Jesus Christ. Father, may we take it to heart this morning. May we understand what our Lord is saying, and may we apply it by the power of your Spirit. We thank you that you are with us. We pray that your Spirit would move and change and conform us more to the image of Christ. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I think most of you probably know what a paradox is. But just in case you don't, I'm going to give you a definition out of our family dictionary. I think it's a collegiate dictionary. A paradox is a statement or proposal which seems self-contradictory or absurd on its face and yet can be explained as expressing something that is true. That's a paradox. Seems self-contradictory on its face, but it can be explained as embracing truth. I think Matthew 5.4 may be one of the greatest paradoxes in all of Scripture. And let me explain it this way. Do you remember what the word blessed means? It means to be exaltingly joyful or happy. So Jesus in this verse is saying, blessed are they that are mourning, for they shall be comforted. Is that not a paradox? You're going to be exaltingly happy if you're exaltingly sad. John MacArthur entitled uh, his chapter on the Sermon on the Mount, Happy Are the Sad. That's a paradox, but Jesus says it's true that when you mourn, you will find great joy and happiness in that he will be there to comfort you. Boy, it seems like such a contradiction, though, doesn't it? Blessed, happy, joyful are they that mourn. Now, this, again, is completely opposite to the world's philosophy about what makes you happy. You know what the world says. They say that verse 4 of the Sermon on the Mount is absolutely ridiculous. You can't be sad and happy. They would say avoid sadness at almost all cost. They say that we should pursue happiness alone and avoid sadness and grief, even legitimate things when possible. But this is not even the mourning that Jesus Christ is talking about, the mourning over things like which are legitimate, losing a loved one to death, losing a job 
that's brought you great joy and income for your family. All of these kinds of things which legitimately both unbeliever and believer can mourn over and be sad and sorrowful about, that's not the mourning that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, 4. Jesus is talking about, just as he did when he talked about poverty of spirit, being poor in the spiritual realm of our life, recognizing we have nothing, that we are paupers, and it can only plead, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. This also has that same kind of spiritual overtone. It's not the physical things that Jesus is talking about mourning over, the physical losses in life. Losing a home and all of your belongings because of a fire or some other kind of catastrophe. Jesus is talking about mourning over something which is deeply spiritual. He's talking about mourning over sin. Mourning over sin. This whole message is going to reflect on that subject and ask the question for me and for you, are we mourning over sin? There are five questions we're going to explore this morning in trying to surface out what Jesus is saying here. And the first one is, who is it again that Jesus is addressing with this sermon? Is he addressing, is, is he preaching so that unbelievers might be saved by doing these things? No. Jesus is preaching to those who are in the kingdom. And he is saying, this is the way that children of God will live. Look at them. Look at their character traits and see if you don't see these things. And this one is, blessed, happy, joyful are those that mourn. These are individuals that have already entered the kingdom, and they now have the power by the indwelling spirit to manifest these characteristics as they allow the Spirit of God to do this in them. They can overcome sin. They can grieve over sin. They can mourn, not moan. One morning I, thought I, was, I woke up early and I was thinking about this text and the word moan came in to my mind. It's mourn. It's grieve. It's to be sorrowful for, to be saddened. That's the kind of thing that we're talking here. So, living out these beatitudes, these characteristics, these traits given to us by God when we are saved indicates that we are children of the kingdom. This is the way we ought to be living. So, secondly, what then is the biblical understanding of the word mourn? The Greek word that's used in the New Testament is pentheo. And this word speaks of the feeling or the act to grieve or to mourn or to be sorrowful. It can be used in the New Testament either speaking of mourning over physical things, physical losses, or it can be used in the reference of spiritual things. 
However, it is mostly used in the New Testament, if you look it up, on the spiritual side, and it is a very strong word. Let me give you three examples from the New Testament, which gives us the idea of this morning grieving over spiritual issues and also pointing out the different arenas that we can grieve over when it comes to this matter of sin. First one I want to reference is Luke 6, 25, in the second half of that verse, where we Jesus says, Woe to you who laugh now. Now, he's not saying here that, that there aren't some things to laugh about. There are some okay things to laugh about. But what he's saying is, He's again dealing with the spiritual things. He says, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall in the future mourn and weep. Who do you think of when you think of somebody who found out in the future that his life of pleasure now and happiness in this life turned out to be mourning and weeping? The rich man along with Lazarus. Where did the rich man go? To Hades as soon as he died and there he mourned and he wept, and he said to Abraham, send, me, send some folks to my relatives that are still alive. They need to hear this. I don't want them to end up here. It was too late, however, for him. Too late. He laughed in this life. He enjoyed this life, but now he is mourning, and so is everyone who is not part of the kingdom of God who has passed on. That mourning has already begun, that grieving in their hearts. Then there's another passage, 1 Corinthians 5.2, and it says this, you have become, Jesus, uh, rather Paul is speaking here, and you have become arrogant, he says to the church at Corinth, you've become arrogant and you have not mourned, you have not grieved, in order that the one who had done this deed might be removed from your midst. There's not only the mourning in the scriptures on the spiritual side that talks about unbelievers mourning or, or just mourning over sin that has embraced unbelievers and holds them captive. But we as Christians ought to be mourning when we look at the church that we are in and the church body we ought to be grieved when someone in this body is living in sin and it becomes apparent to us. The church at Corinth was doing nothing. They were turning their back on a man coming in, bringing his father's wife that he was having a relationship with, and Paul says, I've already turned that one over to Satan. Why aren't you doing anything as a church? Why aren't you grieving? Why aren't you mourning? You rather should have mourned but they weren't. Then there's this passage, and I want you to turn to it because there's more verses here to read, and I'm going to read it from the text that I have before me. Turn to James chapter 4. This is involving grieving, mourning over the sin in our own lives. Even as believers, remember, we are not going to be ever again enslaved to sin, practice sin, be in bondage to sin, but there's a battle going on in our lives between flesh and spirit. This body 
that we live in still is unredeemed and won't be redeemed until the Lord returns. And we're given a resurrection body. This body, however, constantly fights us. There's warfare going on between flesh and spirit. And James is talking about that in this passage. Look at verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source the pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures, you adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep, and let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. See what James is saying to a church, to Christians? Christians that are living not the way they should, focusing on the pleasures of this life, focusing on happiness that some of those pleasures bring for us for a short period of time. And James is saying, listen, you need to repent of that. You need to begin mourning and weeping over that which is going on in your own lives. So there is this biblical mourning for spiritual things that includes the sins of the world, the sins that are out there, and the sinners that are in the world, and the sin which is in the church and will sometimes appear and the sin in our own lives. These are all things that we should be mourning, grieving over. Any of you want to raise your hand that you have not committed any sin in the past six months? I don't see very many. We need to be mourning when the Spirit of God says, Dwight, that is wrong in your life. And you know it. It's sin. And God is not pleased with that. And you are giving in to that. So it is sin. It's our sin. It's the sin of other professing believers that ought to take us weeping before God and grieving. It's the sin that we see out here in the world. And if you watch the news today, there's a lot to weep and mourn over going on in this land. 
a lot to weep and mourn over. Well, what's the third, the third point? What is the practical application of the word for mourn to us today? And I think this is, this is important. Two parts to this. The first one is, how is it to be manifested? How is this grieving to be manifested? Mourning involves grieving the emotional part of our being and not just the intellect. The emotions, by the way, of our being may give much more insight to our true nature than we realize. What makes us weep? What makes us cry? Is it watching a Hallmark movie? Or is it looking at ourselves, looking at others in the body, looking at the world around us and seeing the sin that sent Jesus Christ to the cross? There was no other way for sinners to be saved than that he bore God's wrath for sin in his own body that we were due. And he brings us to himself and he gives us life and forgiveness and power to overcome sin. Emotions are important because emotions largely, many, in many ways, are uncontrollable. We see something and it makes us weep. It makes us sad. It, it makes us mourn. Or, on the other hand, it could make us happy. What is it that makes us happy? What is it that makes us sad? If we are being led by the Spirit, when we see the sin that's around us and in our own lives, we are deeply grieved. We ought to be. And our emotions respond with sadness, sorrow, tears, confessions, confrontations, prayer, and the scripture will even say prayer with fasting. Have you ever fasted and prayed because of the sin that you're looking at and seeing that causes you to be grieved? Have you ever done that? The scripture talks about that as being an option. When confronted with sin, our emotions do not respond with laughter or ig ignoring it or excusing it or indulging ourselves by watching TVs that promote sin and TV programs. In our emotions, we are moved if we are part of the kingdom to weep, to grieve, to be in sorrow for the things that we're seeing. Listen to how David manifested some of this in his life. I want you to turn back to Psalm 32. You remember this psalm? It's after his sin with Bathsheba. And he starts off and he says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. But notice this part now. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with a 
fever heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. In my iniquity, I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. But you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. You see what David is saying here? And he says the same kind of thing in Psalm 51 in a little bit more detail. He says, when I kept the sin to myself, I felt what you were doing in my life. And I became troubled. And I mourned. And I was grieved. And I came to you. And I asked you to forgive me. And you, forgive, you forgave my sin. You did that. Is there something in your life right now that's troubling you? Is there something in which the Spirit of God is putting His finger on, and you're feeling some of this going on in your life. My question is, are you mourning over it? Are you weeping before God? Are you going to Him and saying, Lord, this is sin in my life. I admit that to you. I ask you, forgive me for this. You've said, the Bible says in James chapter 1, if we continue to confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not only a one-time event where he takes and pays for all of our sin. And when we're converted, we know that all of our sins were on the cross with him and they were dealt with. But we still have to continue to deal with sin and temptation in our lives right now. And we have to confess. And we have to mourn over sin. You see, even true believers are going to be tempted, and even true believers are going to give in. And how do, we, how do we respond when we give in? We just say, oh, well, all my sins are covered. It doesn't make any difference. It does make a difference. We need to weep and mourn. Blessed are they who mourn over spiritual things like sin in their lives, in the church, in the world. But notice, too, that spiritual mourning is going to lead to godly action. It's going to lead to confession. It's going to lead, if it's ours, it's going to lead to us getting on our knees before God and repenting. If we see it in the church, and we see someone in the church who's a professing brother or sister, the action would be, according to Matthew 18, go seek them out, meet with them, and tell them in a loving but clear way, I am mourning and grieving over what I see going on in your life. I've had people come up to me in years of ministry and say, Christian people, professing Christian people, say, I could never do that. And I say to them, why couldn't you go to a brother that's in need, that is sinning before his God, and has a leavening effect in the whole church if it's unchecked, why wouldn't you go to them and love and say, listen, I'm a brother or sister, but you are not living in a way that pleases God. Will you repent? Will you turn? And if it's in the world, it leads us to pray 
that Christ will bring revival or maybe even that he will return soon and put an end to all of this. When we see sin, we need things like repentance and tears and sorrow and remorse and asking God, please do your work. Motivate me to do what you want me to do. When is this morning to be manifested? That's the next part of this question on application. It is to be a part of our spiritual life throughout our days since conversion. We know that. We know that it happened when we became a Christian, but it's to be a continuing part of our life, even now. Notice the tense of the verb is not a past tense, it's a present tense denoting continuous action. Blessed are those who are mourning over sin. And they haven't given this up. They still see sin as sin. When we come, become aware of sin, there's action to be taken. How we react to it is all important. We must grieve over it. We must grieve over family members that we see in sin that have been raised in a Christian home. If they are our children, that ought to cause us to grieve. When we look at all of these things, our friends and the people in the world, even if our life now is on track and it's okay, we ought to be grieving over what we see in others and going before the Lord and praying. I want you to turn with me to another passage over in 1 Peter chapter 2. A few years ago, I became very interested in, in this book and in this chapter in particular, and I want to read a few verses for you. The context of this, it's in chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading from verse 21, but the context here is where the Lord is saying, listen, you're in the world and I want you to know that if you are going to be righteous in this world and live godly, you are going to suffer. He said, it's nothing if you're suffering for doing wrong. That, that's what you should get. But you're going to suffer for doing what is right. And then he says to servants, you need to serve your masters, whether there's a good master or one not so good. Serve them in a way that honors God, whether you suffer or not. Then comes to verse 25, he gives us the supreme example of someone who suffered, and it's Jesus Christ. Verse 21, if you have your Bibles, just follow along. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept trusting himself to him who judges righteously. Now notice these last verses. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that, here's purpose, we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. I want you to think about that for a moment. He died, 
not only that we might be forgiven, but he died also that we might overcome all sin in this life as children of the kingdom. Here's some observations I made oh, a few years ago on these verses dealing with how, does the, how do Christians today feel about sin? How do they generally look at sin? Here's some observations I came up with because I begin to see there's some unbiblical thinking among Christians in terms of sin in their lives or in the church. I found that there's a ten tendency for some to think that all sins are not equally reprehensible. Well, there's some bad sins over here, and there's some that are really not too bad here. Let me ask you a question. How bad was picking fruit off a tree and eating it when you were told, don't do that or judgment will come upon you. You will surely die. How bad is picking a piece of fruit off a tree? How bad is lying? How bad is murder? We, we tend to, to categorize a lot of these things. Another thing I saw was that God's view of sin is very different in some Christians' minds for unbelievers. There's a tendency to think that, that since we are forgiven of all sin, it really doesn't matter how we feel about sin today, whether we mourn or we don't mourn over it. There's a reluctance to confront fellow believers with their sin when it becomes apparent in the church because you know, we want to love them. Well, isn't the loving thing to point out what they are doing that's bringing God's discipline into their life? Yes, it is. We need to be ready to do that. Then I thought, I also saw there's some possible reasons for these unbiblical views. What are they? And here's some things I came up with. An incomplete view of the purpose and consequences of, of redemption. What, what are the purpose and consequences of redemption? Not only to save us from our, the penalty of our sins, but to save us from living in them. They are an offense to God. All sin is ultimately rebellion against him. If he says, don't walk this down this aisle backwards, if that's his will, it's sin for me to get down here and walk backwards down this aisle. All sin is rebellion against our creator. Well, here's what I finally came up with. This, this was my third thing that I thought about. Why is it paramount that we examine what the scriptures teach us about sin again. Because God hates it. It destroys. It sends people to hell. It is rebellion against him. It is giving in to Satan. Christ not only died to forgive us, but to free us from sin. Sin destroys fellowship with God and keeps our prayer life our prayers from even being heard, Psalm 66, verse 18. He doesn't hear our prayers when we're living in sin. Sin destroys the body of Christ and our witness into the world of unbelievers. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit and quenches His Word. Sin is a leavening effect in our life and the life of those around us that know the Lord. 
ongoing and habitual sin reveals, may reveal that we've never come to know the Lord at all. Never. No matter what our profession, no matter how many cards we signed or how many aisles we walked down, the issue is, has the Spirit of God come into your heart? Are you a new person? Are you a new creature with new desires and new powers? That's what the Scripture talks about. Sin must not only be acknowledged, it must be mourned over and grieved over in such a way that we are led to see God's perspective and we come to Him and perform the action that He wants us to. God, forgive me. God, send me to that brother or sister that I see living in sin. Make me courageous to confront their sin, not only for your sake, but for their sake too. And God, help me to be a witness in the world of unbelievers where sin is rampant and it's growing more all of the time. Be assured that the world will not like this if you live this way. Its response is to laugh, excuse, promote, attack. But we must be like Jesus when he comes and he's on the hills around Jerusalem and he looks at Jerusalem and he knows the people that are down there. And what does he begin to do? He weeps over them. He's grieved because he's come from the Father to give the message to bring them into his kingdom and they're refusing it. He weeps because they would not come. Their sin kept them away. In Revelation chapter 6, I even get the feeling that those who are in the intermediate heaven, the intermediate heaven is the heaven now where the saints have gone to be with Jesus at the right hand of the Father, but one day he's coming again back to the earth and there will be a new earth and a new heaven. So this is an intermediate one. But what are the saints doing there? They're aware of what's still going on down on the earth and they're grieved and they're crying out to God, how long, O Lord, how long until Jesus returns? and deals with sin. The only time that we're gonna stop grieving and mourning or should over sin is we're in the new heavens and new earth with Jesus and there are no more sinners and there is no more sin and there is no more tempter. It's all over. That's when the mourning will cease and never before. What is and the fourth thing is, what is the specific reward for those that mourn? Comfort from God. When your mourning is re real and your grieving is real and you're sensitive to, to the issue of sin in your life and in the church and in the world, God comforts. That word simply means to console, come alongside, cheer up, encourage. God is there. He will be there continually. And your joy won't go away. You're receiving his comfort. He's promised to do that. When you are mourning, he's promised to be with you. He's promised to overcome. The one mourning over the sin in the world is promised that Jesus is coming again. 
The one morning over the sin in the church is promised. When you confront that, I will deal with that when you follow the steps that I've given you. And he says to us, when you're mourning over sin in your life, I will forgive you. Come to me like David did. Come to me. How are true mem- This is the fifth point and the last. How are true king- kingdom members to manifest the character trait? Number one, ask God to give you a more clear picture in the Word of God about he, how he feels about sin. How does God see sin even today? My life, the world, and the church. Be in the Word of God. It is rebellion against Him. It costs the life of His Son on the cross, bearing our sins in His own body. It is heinous, despicable, abhorrent. Do we ever find ourselves trying to excuse sin in our lives? Secondly, ask God for the spiritual power to be manifest in mourning over that sin and daily power of the Spirit to overcome sin in our lives and temptation and to get rid of it. And thirdly, remember, this is not an option. It is a character trait of a child of the kingdom that you're mourning over sin, that you realize what it is, that you're grieved, that it causes you to weep. Don't ever start looking at sin differently. And remember, when you do this, you not only give evidence that I'm a child of the kingdom, but you receive what he has promised. Your joy is not going to diminish. It's not going to go away. His comfort will be there in the midst of your mourning. I want to ask you a serious question right now. Is there anything in your life going on that you ought to be deeply grieved over before your Heavenly Father? If so, don't even leave this church this morning until you sit quietly or come up front where the elders can pray for you and with you, you need to confess that. You need to deal with it. You need to repent of it. You need to mourn. Don't don't put it off. This is serious. Unchecked sin in a church can destroy a church. Unchecked sin in your life can destroy your life and possibly reveal that you've never been a saint at all. And as you begin to move around in the world, don't stop speaking about what is righteous, what pleases the God who made us. Don't be bashful. Don't be ashamed. If you want to go to a PTA meeting and stand before the audience and say, I am here because I understand our school is teaching things which are contrary to the Word of God. And I cannot be quiet. I am grieved. I'm here in tears. I am weeping over what I see going on in my country. Blessed are those who mourn, 
over spiritual matters. Blessed are those who are grieved over sin, rebellion against God. They shall be comforted. Father, thank you for this sobering reminder. Help us to get a handle on what you say about sin. And help us to come before you and examine our own lives and hearts and, and look at our church and look at the world that we live in. We need to be mourning and grieving when confronted with this rebellion against you. We pray this in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.